0: Hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and I have a rare treat for all of our science fiction and kaiju fans out there. In October, we are going to be gifted with the publication, the very first English translation of the original novellas, Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again, and it 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 blows my mind. It's that this has never been available in English before. But my guest, Professor Jeffrey Angles of Western Michigan University, has translated those original novellas, which have been favorites in Japan for oh, I don't know, seventy years. And the fact that he's got to translate them and bring them to. Western American English-speaking audiences is fascinating to me, and I can't wait to find out more. Hello, Jeffrey.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me, Summer. I'm really happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so first of all, you are a professor of Japanese. Uh, you That's teach right. Western Michigan University. Do you also teach in Japan as well?
1: Um, so I, I have taught in Japan, but, by, but Western Michigan University is my main home now.
0: How in the world did this come about? Because it it never dawned on me that, hey, there are Godzilla stories in print yeah. in Japan that everybody has been reading since the <laughs> movies came out, and we've right. never had them. How'd that happen? Isn't
1: that crazy? I have to admit that I'm, I'm completely blown away, just like you, by the fact that no one has ever done this before. But um, the way that this happened... Um, Well, just to back up a little bit, um, so you know, in two thousand eleven, there were these, there was the enormous earthquake, tsunami, and uh, Fukushima meltdown in Mm -hmm. Japan, and uh, and I was there at the time, and you know, it was you know the most shocking, most uh, kind of like overwhelming event of my life, and so um, after I came back to to America, um, and I was teaching at Western Michigan, I started teaching courses about disaster in modern Japan. And um, it's one of the fun things that I would have students do over the course of that semester, like, you know. Since that was a pretty heavy class, we're always talking about heavy things. I would have them watch the Godzilla, uh, the original Godzilla. Uh, I found that very few of my students had, everyone of course knew Godzilla, but no one had ever, or or relatively few of them, had seen the original movies. And as I was showing this, you know, um, repeatedly, you know, to different classes over the couple of years, I kept on noticing that in the credits, there was this line that said, you know, Gensaku Kayama Shigeru, the um, like original work by Shigeru Kayama. Uh, Kayama, And I was like, what? You know, original work. And um, I recognized um, Kayama's name as a major science fiction author. But I'm like, what is he doing there? So I started, as a literature person, I started investigating a little bit and uh, going deeper. And I realized that there were these novellas out there, which which, uh, no one had ever translated. And I was just completely blown away by that fact. I as soon as I realized that this book was out there, you know, I got a copy of it and I read it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, someone's got to do this. So I, I did a sample translation, sent it off, and um I've rarely had such a quick acceptance <laughs> ever for any book that I've done in the past. Uh, it was it was really exciting to see how interested uh, University of Minnesota was in putting out this book.
0: Okay, so I, I am blown away that nobody realized that a famous Japanese science fiction author wrote the stories that that Godzilla was based on. Or, let's see if I if, if I was reading through the notes and mm-hmm. it's the Toho Films actually asked him to write a treatment for these movies, and then later That's he right. turned them into a book.
1: That's right. Yeah. So, so the way that things happened, um, the, the order of things is that in, um, in early 1954, uh, one of the producers at Toho Studios, um, came up with the idea for a film and, um, Kayama, uh, the science fiction writer, had made his debut just a few years before in 1947. So um, by 1954, when the Godzilla film Gojira was first made, um, he was pretty famous. Um, So anyway, this producer uh, got the idea um, and he contacted Kayama, asked him to to, um, create a treatment of of a story about a big monster um, and about radiation. But I think he gave him relatively few guidelines I can tell you more about that um, uh, further down the line. But um, then uh, Kayama worked on uh, the screenplay um, and then the screenplay was turned into a film and then soon afterward the film was then turned into this novelization. Um, I think that one of the reasons that people didn't translate this before, uh, or at least there wasn't an official translation. There was at least one fan translation out there that I found in into English. Um, but uh, I think the reason is is because the the novella came after the film itself, and so I think that somehow people saw that as less valuable than you know than than if it had gone in the opposite direction. But uh, but I'm not sure that I agree. You know, I think that this is a really wonderful, valuable piece of text because it gives us a, a very specific vision of what. The guy who wrote the screenplay had originally wanted the Godzilla story to be like,
0: yeah, because the the stories are appear to be seem to feel like it's more about the people dealing mm. with Godzilla and mm-hmm. their communities being mm, trampled, and uh, just just them dealing with the after effects. They're like they're, they're already dealing with the after effects of atomic testing, nuclear testing and then you've got this giant monster who's just messing things up for everybody and it's <laughs> it's right. it's more about them dealing, you know, trying to keep their families together, trying to make sure their communities aren't destroyed than it is about yeah. the monster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a good take on it. Um, I, I, somehow in, in the course of, um, all the Godzilla movies, um, especially in the, the later iterations of, you know, the Godzilla movies, um, you know, he, Godzilla becomes quite, you know, he, he becomes kind of cute in a way. Um, and, but in the first movie, the original movie, Gojira, um, the one from 1954, um, he wasn't cute or sort of charming or in, in any way whatsoever. He was just this uh, radioactive destructive force that, that, um, that appeared in, in Tokyo and, and wrought lots and lots of havoc. So, yeah, it, it's interesting that um, around the time that the second movie came out, um, Godzilla Raids Again, Kayama, the science fiction writer who who did these novelizations and who worked on the the scenarios for the first uh, two films, um, he happened to be in a dentist's office. And he, I guess there was a like lying there, there was a Life magazine um, and there was a a, a kid there um, who's looking at the Life magazine. And in the Life magazine, he saw some pictures of dinosaurs. And he started shouting, oh, look, it's Godzilla, it's Godzilla and uh you know the guy who wrote Godzilla <laughs> just happened to be there and he was uh, he was really surprised by this whole thing and and that was kind of like a moment of revelation for him he said in one of his uh essays that you know he realized that Godzilla already by the second movie was becoming something that people began to feel very affectionate about and um in his and he realized that if people like really loved Godzilla, then maybe his uh, original goal of kind of, you know, using Godzilla as a, a vehicle for exploring nuclear anxiety might not have worked. And actually even um, in that same essay, Kayama admits that even he, um, after the second film was beginning to feel affectionate about Godzilla. So, so yeah, so your, your, your sense that like, you know, either in, in the book um, and, you know, at the at the very beginning of the Godzilla franchise, that you know, that Godzilla was this terrifying thing embodying nuclear anxieties um, is right on the money.
0: I would like someone to do an academic take on the evolution of Godzilla from destroyer to protector. I mean that, <laughs> yeah. that could that could be an entire course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, right. All these films, you know, each of them sort of embody their own specific moments in time. And, um, and you know, in, in some of the films, uh, there's like really open discussion about the military and their role in, uh, in fighting Godzilla. And so like, you know, a lot of Japan's kind of current events are sort of reflected in, in the Godzilla story.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, as a child, I was a fan of the monster movies, but oh yeah. After I think after the first new Godzilla movie came out, I I I sat back and I realized like wait this, the first monster movie, the first kaiju movie I saw, I saw Rodan years before I saw Godzilla.
1: Oh, uh huh.
0: And I just thought that was funny because like I'm, I'm a huge Godzilla fan. I'm like, but wait, Rodan started this mess. Okay, cool. <laughs> and and just the 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 evolution of yeah. which kaiju or Godzilla's friends, how they all team up against, uh, what was it, Gidara, And just the, the whole evolution of right. Godzilla mythology is fascinating Mm -hmm. to me how (laughs) how did uh kayama's work influence these other monsters and yeah was he responsible for any of their stories too
1: yeah yeah um so kayama was not um after the second film um after godzilla raids again which is released in 1955 um he decided that he would drop out um and uh the reason for that was largely be you know for, uh, for the reasons that i stated um before that he began to feel like his original plan of writing a story about uh, nuclear anxiety was beginning to shift and godzilla was turning into this kind of cute monster that people liked um in that in that same essay that i quoted from you uh quoted just uh, uh, or mentioned just a, a few moments ago um uh kayama says you know i've done two movies even if toho studio comes begging me um to do another one i'm not going to do it so uh, so, Kaiju kind of dropped out of the franchise um, on the with the second film, um, after the second film, I mean. Um, but yeah, your you, your 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 points about uh, kaiju, uh genealogy, you know, uh, reminds me that um, that you know one of the original inspirations for the for the Godzilla um, project was the 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 granddaddy of all Kaiju movies, King Kong. You know, uh, of course, you know, the movie King Kong was, you know, created in America in, I forget what year, 1930-something or whatever. 33. Um, 33, was three wasn't Okay, great, yeah. But it was re-released in America in 1952. And so it raked in a huge amount of money with the with the re-release in, in 1952. Uh, and then that, in turn, inspired the film The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which came in mm-hmm. 1953. And so, um, and so the Toho Studios executive, uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka, the one who originally came up with the idea for, for making a big monster movie, was you know, highly aware of the fact that King Kong was released in the U.S. making a lot of money. And um, it's said that he uh, got the inspiration for Godzilla by reading about the beast from 20,000 Fathoms in a magazine. Um, it turns out that he, uh, this executive Tanaka, was on a flight from Indonesia to Japan when he came up with this idea. Um, he had been making a movie in Indonesia about uh, about some freedom fighters, I guess. Um, And, uh, but there were relations between Indonesia and Japan was souring at that point. And so um, the Indonesian government decided to deny access to filming. Um, And so Tanaka, like he got on the airplane in Indonesia thinking, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Suddenly I can't make this movie that I wanted to make. I've got to come up with something quickly. And so he was sitting in the magazine and and read an article about the beast of 20,000 fathoms and came up with the idea. Well, gosh, maybe we could do something like this in Japan. Another thing that went into his inspiration—I um, I, I hope I'm not getting ahead by by sort of jumping into these historical facts—but you know, I'm such a nerd; I love these things. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one of the other things that was was on um, uh, Tanaka's mind um, when he came up with this idea was the fact that um, on March 1st of 1954, um, there was an incident in the uh, in the Pacific Islands, in the Marshall Islands. The United States was uh, testing some hydrogen bombs out there, and there happened to be, just by complete coincidence, a Japanese fisherman boat, um, which happened to be in the area. Um, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to be there, apparently, and uh, they were caught in the nuclear blast that that took place on March 1st, 1954. Um, the The boat was called the uh, Daigo Fukuryu and uh, or some, in English, I think people usually. Translate that as Lucky Dragon number five. Um, it wasn't a very lucky boat. They got mm-hmm. they got they got caught up in the nuclear blast. And um, and so um, this made front page news in japan um, all of the members uh, who were on that ship at the time quickly came down with radiation poisoning and one of them died relatively shortly after the um, after this happened so you know this is front page news in japan like you know oh my god these you know japanese citizens were just you know, doing their own thing um, peacefully when um, when you know the american military you know did this and so so that that set off a whole new wave of nuclear anxiety in Japan. Of course, Japan, you know, had its experience with Hiroshima. It had the experience with Nagasaki in 1945, mm-hmm. and so people were like, you know, highly aware of of radiation and how how scary it was. But um, but uh, this event um, in early 1954. Um, reminded the whole Japanese population, oh my god, you know even if um, things decisions about um, about the military are being made far from Japanese shores, you know these things still affect us in the um in the uh, investigation that uh, went on afterward after this ship was was bombed the it was discovered that uh, radioactive tuna, had been reaching Japanese markets and reaching Japanese stomachs all over the place, and so like you know again this discovery kind of made the uh, the Japanese population super worried and super scared. So um, so Tanaka, uh, all of this is in the background when Tanaka was flying home on that flight from Indonesia to Japan. Thinking about um, you know what kind of movie he wanted to make, since uh, since this thing, nuclear anxiety, um, the concern about radioactive tuna and everything, was you know front page news all the time. He thought, well, you know, maybe this is a, a good time to kind of capitalize upon those upon this fears, and so the idea for Godzilla was born.
0: It's uh, fascinating to me because you have. These fears of radiation poisoning. And mm-hmm. it seems like one way to mitigate those fears was to, I guess, transmute them into well, what if radiation poisoning doesn't kill you? What if it mutates you into something different? So we get Godzilla. We mm-hmm. get, uh, that's, you know, the testing is how Rodan was woken up. And then uh-huh. Stan, Stan Lee comes up with Spider-Man being bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Uh, it it It's fascinating because we're trying to take this terrifying situation and trying to make it not so terrifying. Right. Just so we can you know, not be afraid every single minute of the day about dying from radiation poisoning, you know, ten right. minutes after we're exposed. It's I had never made that connection till yeah. now. So that's that's a, a really interesting look. And then you you bring dinosaurs in the mix. What's a mutated dinosaur? Well right, right, well, let's find out.
1: <laughs> right, um, you know. So it's really interesting. Um, in the original scenario that Kayama wrote for Godzilla, he mentions right at the beginning of the scenario, like um, he he had envisioned that uh, at the at, at the beginning of the movie there would be this voiceover, um, so that like an off-screen voice would make uh, an announcement. Um, and uh, I tr- I translated that. It, it starts out saying. November 1952, on this day, our planet Earth was terrorized by a fearful experiment that until that point, no one could have possibly imagined and that would have left the world unable to do anything but tremble in fear. The first hydrogen bomb test, it didn't involve destruction as much as an outright murder. In the blink of an eye, the test site in the uh, uh, Nicaragua Atoll was returned to nothingness and a radioactive cloud tore 32 miles widely up into the stratosphere, rising like the hair of the devil himself. So anyway, the, the the voiceover goes on and on, but like you know, he um, the the point that I'm trying to make is that Kayama, you know, who you know came up with the her initial uh, you know vision for the for the film, you know, wanted to write this into the film right from the very beginning. I guess the uh, executive producers um, at the studio, you know, they didn't want to make a protest film exactly. They they thought that you know a protest film wouldn't you know sell as well. It you know it would be too serious and stuff like that. So they they toned all of that down. They took out that announcement at the beginning of the film, and so uh, and so the film that we've got today doesn't doesn't have that in there. But um, if you watch carefully the beginning part of the film, you'll notice that um, one of the earliest scenes in the film is a small fisherman's boat, which is labeled, it has the number five, you know, written on the side of the boat. That boat is blown up by a nuclear explosion. And we kind of, you know, learn later that that was, you know, Godzilla rising out of the sea. But that reference to, the lucky dragon number five um, the boat that was actually in real life irradiated in the Marshall Islands um, is you know still there in the film somewhere you know just kind of in a little bit hidden form I think um, you know we need you know, here in the 21st century you know, kind of separated from the uh, from the time and culture where the film was originally produced you know we need some explanation to kind of realize that you know that that's what was going through the mind but <laughs> yeah. And, and actually and i just wanted to to uh to add too that so the producers took out like you know kayama's warning about uh, nuclear weapons that was right at the beginning of the film but when kayama wrote the novellas and published them he put his warning back in <laughs> back into the book so so the book starts out with this uh with this kind of like comments from kayama himself and uh, l- let me just read it if that if that's okay mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, it goes like this. As you readers already know, the main character of this tale, Godzilla, is an enormous imaginary kaiju, a creature that doesn't actually exist anywhere here on the planet. However, atomic and hydrogen bombs which have taken on the form of Godzilla in the story do exist. They are being produced and could be used for war at any moment. If that were to happen, it wouldn't be just the big metropolises like Tokyo and Osaka that would be destroyed. The entire Earth would likely be laid waste. To prevent something so frightening and tragic from coming to pass, people all over the world are pouring their energy into new movements opposing the use of atomic and hydrogen bombs. As one small member of that movement, I've tried to do my part by writing a novel, the tale that you now hold in your hands. Reading this book in that context will make it all the more informative and interesting." So, and then he dated that July, 1955. The time that the um, the book was published, so so I mean it's it's really interesting when we when we come to the book version, uh, we can see you know really clearly you know how these uh, nuclear anxieties are right there at the very core of the story.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the history in Japan of these uh, these novellas? Because these these novellas have been used. In schools, at uh, you know, it was teaching, like people have been fans of these books. They've been for on sale there for you know nearly seventy years, and we're yeah. just now getting to them. I mean, what's the history of how they became so popular uh, for reading in Japan, and why it took so long for people to notice? Hey, here's a story we can translate and present to Godzilla fans in. Uh, <laughs> in english speaking yeah. countries
1: yeah um i i should say that the, the films were always more impo- more popular than the, than the books here you mm. know the film of course was like such a you know such a monument of japanese cinema um it you know uh, uh, at the point when the the film was made it was the most expensive film ever made in japan and so um you know it was it was a big production and uh, it attracted a lot of attention and so, you know, in a way, the the novellas, you know, because they came like, you know, one step after uh, after you know the release of the the first film, you know, I think that they didn't, you know, hold as much kind of like space in the cultural imagination as as the films did. However, um, as you pointed out, they've been in print pretty much, you know, the entire time from from 1955 when they were released, um, you know, up until the present day um at first the um the the novellas for both the first and the second movies were put together in one book um released in 1955 um and it was so like you know so like you know the first half of the book is the is the you know Godzilla in Tokyo part you know based on the first film from 1954 and then the um the second half of the book was you know uh Godzilla in Osaka um, which is, you know, based on the second film, which was coming out right about the same time that the book was published. So, um, so, uh, so you know, that was the form in which they originally came out. Um, you know, the, those, these were reprinted by a whole bunch of different publishers over the course of the years. And um, I think it was in the 1990s that a major Japanese publisher, a really famous Japanese publisher called Chikuma Shobo, um, released it um, in, you know, in one of their very inexpensive um, paperback versions that is available everywhere in the country. So you, know, you so you can buy this book, you know, you don't have to go very far in Japan to, to find a copy of this book. So at least since the 1990s, it's been really, you know, super available. Uh, I'm not clear about how big the circulation was for like the earliest earlier printings. But at least, you know, from the 1990s onward, it's always been, you know, it's pretty much always been available. And, you know, and as you said, you know, people read these, especially, you know, the the Godzilla fans, the Kaiju fans out there, they, they love these books. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's fascinating. Um, I understand that there is already a French translation. I think the French translation was the first one, first translation of this book you know, into any other language. Then there was an Italian translation, and I think that the, this English translation is the, the third translation into, uh, into a, a, another language.
0: So how long did it take to, I guess, get the rights to do the English translation and to actually do the translation?
1: yeah yeah that's a good question um so the rights were a little bit complicated you know i wrote to the publisher and they uh put me in touch with an agent you know who then you know got involved and then you know talked with the Kayama estate um they told me okay now once you've got an american press that's that that wants to publish it then then let's talk and let's do some more negotiations so um so you know there were a couple of steps involved um and it uh that worked out, all those kind of like details, I think, were ironed out in the matter of a couple of months. Um, it was the publisher that did most of that. So, um, so you know, I don't know all the details, but um, the translation itself was uh, it was in some ways pretty straightforward, you know, because there's a lot of scenes in the book where like, you know, Godzilla stomps on a building, you know, and uh and so like it's you know just like a description of that scene. Um and you know, so things are pretty straightforward. But but there were a lot of challenges that I encountered that that made me think and kind of reconsider, go back, revise my translation a lot. Um I, I was working on this pretty intensely for most of a year, I'd say, um, you know, reconsidering things, going back, you know, rewatching the films, you know. You know, watching all the different versions of the subtitles. You know, trying to get ideas and that sort of thing. Um, a couple of the the, the issues uh, that that arose in the translation of of, of Godzilla, um, like th- this sounds like a really kind of minor thing, but um, but for me, it was a really time consuming thing that I thought a lot about. Was the gender of the monster in, in Japanese in the in the book? There is no reference whatsoever to Godzilla's gender, whether. It we don't know if Godzilla is male or female or um, intersex or you know um, like some reptiles you know hermaphroditic or you know none of that none of that is um, um, made clear at all um, in, in Japanese because you don't have to use words like he or she that are gendered in Japanese. So the entire book, you know, makes no reference to Godzilla's gender. And so I spent lots of time thinking about you know, Godzilla. Should Godzilla be an it? Should Godzilla be a he? Should Godzilla be a she? Should Godzilla be a they? And um, yeah, so I, I debated about that a lot. And and that one, you know, just, just that question alone, you know, took me, you know, quite a while to decide on.
0: That's fascinating because we've had so many different interpretations of what Godzilla is, right? Because uh, I mean, what the, the, the later, the later uh, cartoon, the, the cartoon, I think from the eighties had, had little baby, was it Godzuki? And- yes. yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. then there was the, the Godzilla movie in the, in the nineties where, you know, she was protecting her eggs. I'm like, mm. okay, why are we, yeah. Making more Godzillas, because having well a whole <laughs> herd of Godzillas would just not be good for us. That's just yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> right, that, right. That would not be fun. Um, no, no. <laughs> but, but yeah, the the to me in the in the in the book, it's uh-huh. it's fascinating how you see the different perspective. Um, yeah. Of, of people, you have uh, the the people who want to kill Godzilla, the people who want to preserve Godzilla because you know, it's it's a unique creature. You have the people who want to worship right. Godzilla, and <laughs> right,
1: uh-huh. yeah, yeah, that's another addition that wasn't in the film um, at all. There's a, there's a small subplot that appears in the book. There was a um, apparently some guy who's posting um, posters all over Tokyo, saying, "You know, yes, Godzilla has come. Our Lord has come. You know, all bow down before the great Godzilla." And um, yeah, so when I when I you know came to that part of the book, I was like, "What? What is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> where did that come from?
0: <laughs> Why did he stick that in there?" <laughs> literally, the world's first social media troll.
1: that's funny (laughs) i hadn't thought about it in quite that perspective i like that (laughs) yeah Uh,
0: yeah just just the whole the whole we have to worship godzilla our lord i'm like right i know
1: i know i when i when it came to that i was just like you know flabbergasted i'm not quite sure what kayama was thinking when he decided to add that little subplot but um, you know, uh, it was clear I think to anyone who lived through World War II that um, that you know, in the in, in the aftermath of disasters, there are some people that do unscrupulous and strange things. So, um, so maybe who's reflecting on that? Or who knows? But you know, I, I, I remember another famous uh, you know piece of Japanese sci-fi, um, Akira, the uh, yes. you know, the famous anime,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: there is a group that uh, that emerges in that film and. And plays a pretty important role and they they start protesting in the streets and doing demos saying like yes we need to worship we need to worship you know this this new god and um there's a part of me that wonders if that didn't take its inspiration from this little subplot in kayama's uh, novella I, I can't prove that i don't know but it certainly reminded me of that
0: that would be uh an interesting thing because haven't haven't there been like two different death cults in in japan in the past like 30 40 mm. years trying to wreak havoc yeah
1: the most famous of them was the uh was the one in the who in the 1990s did the poison gas sarin oh, attack the, on the, the tokyo subway. subways right yeah yeah that was just like just you know completely astounding to to all of us japan watchers um yeah just an amazing thing so, wow oh, I was gonna say um your your point uh, earlier about uh, about lots of small godzillas being made, you know, isn't that a terrible thing, you know <laughs> um that reminded me that um that uh, of something else that Kayama, when he was asked to make the second movie to write the scenario for the second movie, uh, at first he was really reluctant because he's like, you know, hold on a second, you know, at the beginning of the first movie, we killed off Godzilla thoroughly. You know, we used the oxygen destroyer and, you know, Godzilla was melted down to bones. We saw that in the film. You know, how are we gonna bring Godzilla back, you know? And so, uh, so he complained about this and he even wrote about this in some of his essays saying like, you know, you know, the task of sitting down and writing a second movie was just about impossible. But, you know, what could I do? The only solution I could come up with is to have yet another Godzilla emerge into the world. And so, yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's where the idea of the second Godzilla um, in the second movie came from.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's just, you know having multiple Godzilla's running around would be just like Jurassic park only. They're not, <laughs> right. an island, you know, it's like, yeah, we're, it's like, they're bigger than we are. <laughs> right. They, you know, they, they, they eat us, you know? Uh-huh. Like, you know, we can't eat them if they're radioactive, <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's, it's not going to work out well. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have access to Kayama's notes? about no. or the movie or anything relating to this these stories.
1: I would have loved that. I would have absolutely loved that. Um unfortunately I didn't. Um I uh, I was helped out though by the fact that Kayama Shigeru um oh sorry I just put his name in the Japanese order out of habit. Um Shigeru Kayama if you put his name in the English order. Um he um, he has a, a complete works um, which was published uh, you know I think like you know a decade and a half ago or something um, and it's 13 volumes long and it contains you know pretty much all of his novels his short stories um, and um, thankfully, Um, a lot of his Godzilla-related material, including some essays that he wrote about Godzilla, some interviews he gave about Godzilla, and so on. So his complete works were a really valuable resource for me. Unfortunately, they were so expensive, I couldn't buy my own copy of them. (laughs) So so I had them checked out from the library for like, you know, a year and a half or something like that as I I worked on this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was there anything that you didn't previously know about Godzilla and the stories around his creation that you discovered while doing this translation, your research. Well, um, so I guess I didn't realize,
1: um, before doing this, how strong an anti-nuclear message, um, was originally there in the work. Like, like so many people, I, I came to Godzilla by watching the films. And so, you know, I thought that the film was like, you know, the definitive version. And I, I didn't kind of realize that even before the film, there was this scenario that was written by Kayama. Um, oh, another thing that I discovered, too, was that after the, the story was more or less finalized, um, the people at Toho Studios made a radio drama of Godzilla. And the radio drama was broadcast in mid-1954 over in in a couple of installments. And so um, this was kind of a way of like, you know, getting the Japanese population excited about the movie that would come out in November of 1954 and so uh, so there was this radio drama, like a whole different version of Godzilla that also existed, and uh, is pretty fascinating in and of itself. In well, it it, does... there's a whole bunch of different differences, but there's a lot of differences because you know the story, I guess, hadn't been completely finalized yet.
0: Wow I mean, said does does that audio drama still exist? Has anybody translated that?
1: Uh, so the audio drama does exist in written form, um, you know, and probably there is some recording of it somewhere out there. I haven't heard it, but um, it does exist in written form. So it's there um, in Kayama's complete works. It would be wonderful. I think it'd be a really fun project if yeah. I could, uh, you know, get the rights to translate that <laughs> and more, more good stuff for all the Godzilla fans out there
0: that would be just amazing because like the, the, yeah. the audio short stories and audio dramas are really, oh. really popular right now. That would, uh, you should, you should, you should hop on yeah. that.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. University of Minnesota press. Are you listening?
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. So how much more Godzilla related content is there in uh kayama's archives or is uh, is the bulk of it related to these two stories
1: yeah so so the bulk of his work is related to these two stories uh and you know he he did write a number of um, articles and, and interviews and, and and you know did a number of things that were godzilla related um, i think it would be fun to to you know maybe do a a collection of those um at some point um, i think that that would be really good work for some scholar if, um, if wanted to do that uh, another thing I think it'll be really interesting to do would be to do like a book of translations of Kayama's other stories because you know there's uh, in some of his other stories, you know he was very prolific as I said like his his complete works you know stretched to thirteen very very fat big volumes so like they take up an entire like library shelf mm-hmm. but um, I haven't read absolutely everything in there but i've I've read you know quite a lot of his stories. And um, there's a number of them that share concerns or motifs or ideas that are repeated in Godzilla. Like, for instance, his debut story, um, which is published in 1947, um, is a story about the discovery of a, a primate-like creature who's living out in the jungles, um, completely undiscovered by by humanity, until you know he goes on a rampage, and uh, and kills some people. So in a way, you know, this, this story, it's not terribly unlike Godzilla, which is about, you know, this monster that's been living undiscovered you know, for a long time until he goes on a rampage and kills people. So, um, you know, so there, there's like a similarity in feeling between, you know, some of uh, Kayama's other stories and um, in the Godzilla story. And so I think it'd be really fun to to bring a whole bunch of Kayama's other work to into English. To the best of my knowledge, um, nobody has ever translated Paiyama before. So there's a a lot of work that could be done.
0: There is. I know that uh, in uh, literary circles, there have been a large number of translations of Chinese science fiction the past, I'm going to say, at least five years, probably more. So maybe it's time to check out this. Japanese science fiction authors as well.
1: Right, right. And actually that's one of the reasons that I decided to approach University of Minnesota Press with this project. Um, uh, University of Minnesota Press has been doing some translations of Japanese science fiction in recent years. Um, They've got a, a really wonderful book by called Hybrid Child, which is by Mariko Ohara um they've got a uh, a couple of other books um uh, of translations of japanese science fiction out there too so um yeah but i mean science fiction is a huge genre in japan people love it there's such passionate dedicated readers that you know there's all kinds of good work out there that could be translated. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who do translation um, in America are, you know, academics, and um, and so you know sometimes universities don't always, um, you know, recognize the value of translating things that are for popular audiences. So, but you know, those books are out there, and um, and they're waiting. They're waiting for the translators.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, this this book, Godzilla and Godzilla Writes Again, changes some minds, uh, maybe at University of Minnesota Press to let you do some more of Kayama's fiction, maybe some other Japanese science fiction authors. This is uh, a fun book, something that Godzilla fans would eagerly enjoy adding to their collections.
1: Right. I, I don't know if it's uh, premature to talk about this or not, but um, one of the things that I that I learned recently was that um, was that that there was a, the the film in which Mothra makes uh, uh, their appearance for the first time was based on a book that was a book first before it ever became a movie, and mm. um, and so after um, you know the the word got out about the publication of Godzilla. Um. someone contacted me and said oh gosh I am so excited about this book I can't wait I can't wait I hope you're going to do the Mothra book next and I was like what the Mothra book <laughs> so um, I just when I was in Japan <laughs> about uh, about a month ago I found a copy of the Mothra novel which is you know um, long out of print unfortunately but and I, I immediately read it and um, yeah so I'm hoping I can give it, convince some people to, uh, to to dive into that one next. Uh,
0: I, I also am a fan of Mothra, so I hope you succeed on that. Yay. front. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that one's a little bit, the, the rights are a little bit more complicated because that was written not by one person, but by three people. Um, one person wrote the beginning, one person wrote the middle, and then another person wrote the end. So huh. if, if you've ever watched the movie and you kind of think like, oh, this movie is a little bit disjointed, you know, like there's these scenes about the the little fairies, you know, and then there are the scenes of Mothra, and, you know, these things are kind of oddly connected. It's it's because of the sort of strange relay fashion in which the original novel was written. <laughs>
0: Okay, anyway, that's a bit that of a could, tangent that, there,
1: but well
0: <laughs> no, that that could maybe explain a few things for for fans of the the original movie, so we'll uh i I hope yeah. you succeed in in bringing that to uh, <laughs> English translation because that sounds fascinating.
1: <laughs> thank you Thank you.
0: Uh, but Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time and, and your your insights and your enthusiasm. Uh, for this today, oh of course. Oh the no, the thank you, is, Summer.
1: It's been it's been a pleasure to be here.
0: The book is Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again by Shigeru Kayama, translated by Professor Jeffrey Engels, and I'll have links to where you can uh, get your own copy. But we'll be back with more slices sci-fi right after this. Of sci-fi. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast brought to you by escape artists.
1: I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin, and then seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this god's forsaken junk heap of a space station. But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long.
0: From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi guys,
1: this is Tom Allison. I played pre on Killjoys, and you're listening to Life of Sci-Fi.
0: And once again, the book is Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again by Shigeru Kayama translated by Professor Jeffrey Angles. It's from University of Minnesota Press and it will be available for purchase on October 3rd. So you can go pre-order it now. It uh, will be available in trade paperback format and ebook format. The novellas are lovely. That's another level of uh, background. For Godzilla fans of the classic films. And uh, I really do hope that uh, Jeffrey gets a chance to bring us a translation of that uh, Mothra book. It sounds equally fascinating. I'm not sure which platform is the best one. If you have your own questions, For him about Godzilla or Kayama's uh, science fiction body of work, but I think he's still on Twitter. I have links in the show notes that you can follow. But how about you? Are you fascinated about the deeper history of Godzilla, Gojira? The, the mythology of the kaiju, let me know. Call in, leave a voicemail message. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofscifi.com. You can also leave a question or comment in the discussions section for this episode on the website sliceofscifi.com. And yes... For the moment I'm still active on Twitter, so you can go over there at Slice of Sci Fi. Working on uh getting a blue sky invite to test the waters over there. So who knows? Maybe we'll still do both. Also still working on the uh Discord server for fans and listeners of the show and all of the show in the Slice of Sci Fi universe, including Babylon Podcast and Writers After Dark, so When that Discord server is available, I will let folks know. You can check out the reviews we do over on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash at Slice of Sci-Fi. Got some uh, fun stuff over there for you to check out, and hopefully more will be on the way soon. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio. And if you're listening on Apple or following on Podchaser, consider leaving us a review or a rating over there because that word of mouth, that appreciation from you, other fans, may be inspired to check us out for themselves. And that helps Signal Boost, which we all... (laughs) Truly appreciate. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently helping to support Slice of Sci-Fi through your signal boosts and your donations and pledges. You really do help keep things online around here, so my thanks and gratitude to you all. If you would like to add your support, the place to go for now is patreon.com slash sliceofsci-fi. You can pick a tier, any tier, and you're eligible for perks. Every month I pick a winning email address out of the hat, or rather the random number generator I have on my computer does. And that person gets to choose from a book, a DVD, a Blu-ray, a 4K, most of which actually are review materials that I have collected here that I just don't have the space to keep around. So all of the supporters get to have first dibs at some actually some really cool stuff. If you'd prefer to support every now and then without committing to a monthly pledge, the link you can use is paypal.me/sci-fi summer. Another way you can support is through our curated shop, which you can find at sliceofsci-fi.net. Everything over there is uh, affiliate links to various platforms. Mostly the TV and movie stuff is through Amazon. And those purchases through sliceofsci-fi.net also uh, help support our efforts here. As I've said, the list of items available over there is growing slowly. But we're, we're still adding some cool stuff. Books, DVDs, Blu-rays, the, the media you enjoy consuming. Yeah, even graphic novels. And again, thank you all for your support over the years. It, it really does mean a lot to me that uh, you guys keep coming back for more. Because I enjoy doing this too much. I really do. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. and We'll be back with more Slices Sci-Fi next time. Take care.